Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's going on, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self, the conversational podcast by and for Keyforged friends. I am your host today, and my name is Boulevard Blake, and I am, of course, joined by my bouncing death quark in review partner, Sydney, aka SE Steel. What's going on? Not much. Things are good. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for this uh this house combo we're gonna be talking about today. Me too. I, I noticed on the the timestamp of these episodes in, in their feed, what these were recorded almost exactly three years ago. Really? Yeah. Okay, look at us. I know, right? Unintentionally on the ball. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we're gonna be talking about Mars and Shadows. Which one do you think we should tackle first, Sydney? I, I'm oh. I'm kind of I, I'm kind of at at odds with which one we should do first. You know, I'm leaning Mars because I think yeah. Mars is kind of like the purest form of this exercise because they have a very clear main burst and support houses. Not only that, and they're the only set that only has two or only house that has two sets. That's true. So technically when they did this, it was to a degree within the the realm of it, but they didn't really talk about AOA yet. Good call. So, Let's just go into it because this will be a little bit, this will be quick in terms of the overview, but I think the discussion we have might be a little bit uh, more in depth. So Mars, uh, they talked about the the burst house aspect of it in the most interesting way, I thought. I thought Mars as a burst house and thinking of it that way was was very interesting and I found it to be like eye-opening in a way. I thought it was kind of cool because the way they talked about the the main and the burst houses is that if you have cards in your deck that are good main house cards for Mars, then they're bad burst house cards. And the opposite yes. is also true because yes. the the burst cards are, are mostly cards in your hand, cards that you can play from Mars that do something or combo with something on the board, but they have immediate effects. But then in in the main house, they have a lot of cards with staying power, like there some some actually pretty aggressive um, creatures as well as uh, artifacts and um, upgrades. So I feel like they they really did a good job separating these two because it happens naturally. Yes. And on the support side, I mean, I feel like they were they were being generous with the way they viewed Mars and support <laughs> because I don't really feel like Mars is a support house. And the way it does it, it's done poorly in comparison to how every other house will probably talk about it. Yeah, you. it really can't be a support house because it supports itself. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah, they're, they're a selfish the cards house. combo so much within its house. Like that's what makes it great burst and main houses because they combo so much, but they don't really like, they're very, very light in what they can help other houses do. Yes. And not only that, I, I think it's interesting since we're talking about like how they're selfish was how to do a little callback here to when we talked about the Keyforge fiction. And there there are some Mars-related aspects to the stories, and they did a good job of really identifying and then also representing the selfish aspect that Mars brings to the table. 
Oh my God, I couldn't agree more that I actually had flashbacks to the book while I was listening to their episode because there were yeah. some points in the book where they have interactions between Mars and other uh, other factions, I guess, like other, other creatures. And we don't necessarily know what faction each of those creatures were from, but it was very apparent that they they did what they did for their own benefit, even if they had to change their mindset to make it seem like it was for their own benefit. Yeah, it was it was really cool. But the so let's talk about go a little bit more into the burst house aspect because it it um it had these really interesting combo moments you could pull off. And I realize that I've been neglecting Mars a lot <laughs> listening to this episode. And now I kind of want to go back into my collection and look for some of these these cool things that they were they were mentioning of how you could burst. And really, in fact, this exercise in us doing this is making me appreciate the analytical side of of looking at decks and really being able to to make these identifications in these roles of being a burst main or support and it makes me view things differently like how how I should play it's almost like I just forgot about this this exercise to a degree and I'm really <laughs> enjoying you know getting to revisit it and it's almost giving me like I have more knowledge of the game from experience but now going back to these core values we'll call them is making me appreciate how to play the game with new knowledge, but in a classic way. So I actually had a a handful of amazing Coda Mars decks. And I think one of the things that I really benefited from in these decks were consistency. Like one of them, I had two sets of triple cards in the Mars house. And so I think that makes for an absolutely incredible main or burst house because you know what's coming, you can plan for it. And in this case, this this deck, it was, it was the burst house because it had mm-hmm. um, Squawker and Squawker was, uh, it's an action with a pip, ready a Mars creature or stun a non-Mars creature. So Although it does have the the ability for a little bit of control in a in a support way of stunning a non-Mars creature, the fact that I right. could ready a Mars creature and do whatever I wanted with it immediately and do it multiple times because I had multiple squawkers. And on top of that, the Amber Pip, it really like the consistency of that, like it made me appreciate listening to this episode made me appreciate this deck so much more. Mm, totally. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that. It's it's just like I, I'm like went and looked through my decks, and and oddly enough, my my best like ranked decks come from AOA, not oh. Coda. But I have a really really cool Coda deck that's a Horseman deck. Nice. But it's actually that the Horseman is like you can go either or you can go Mars or Sanctum for your main, and it has Dis as like hardcore support. Sure. But the Mars it has like two, four, six, eight, ten Mars creatures. Nice. And the two non-Mars creatures, um, sorry, uh, nine Mars creatures, and the and there are Mother Gun, Sniffer, and Biometrics backup, but it has two Mega Mouse and two John Smiths. So it's Sweet. kind of like, this is cool. And so, I mean, it, it's really cool getting to look back at your old decks. Like, it makes you feel inspired right? when we go through this process to like, oh, what do I have that I haven't, like, you know, taken the time to spend, spend some love with? So, um, yeah, I find that, really cool that that comes from this exercise we're doing. And I hope you as listeners, it's providing the same sort of nostalgic moment for you to be like, oh, I haven't done that in a while and and go revisit those. Absolutely. Now, where has Mars gone from this episode? Because it went to AOA, which 
I feel like AOA Mars is kind of an enigma. It's interesting because I feel like it didn't combo any less, but it it kind of I guess it got the combos got more fun and less less useful. I don't know. I feel like it was less hard. Yeah. Hit. I mean, that happened for basically everything coming from Coda going to AOA. Everything became more fun and less useful, but we really really do see it in the Mars house. And Mars became also um it got Martian generosity which kind of created Mars to be this holy grail of houses in AOA as a result to try and get that Genka. Mm-hmm. But if you take Genka out of the equation, like it does combo, but like you said, they're not as useful combos. But I felt that being a main house became much more prominent. I actually, you, I have a question for you. Uh, okay. For, for Genka, would you consider that a main house where the rest of the deck has to be built around it or a burst house. 100% where- burst. Burst. Like, yeah, I knew right away because you're waiting for the moment to execute that. But I think it can be, there's two ways it can, I think you can look at it. It's a burst if you use it and it sets up the rest of your houses being in your hand mm. or you're going for the key abduction play, but it's still that's still a burst play. Or depending on how you, you rock with it, it can be become main because now you have all your Mars cards and you just drop right. them down that turn and then you go. So I think it depends on the the way the deck plays, but it, you can essentially go A or B. So I think it's going to depend on how many main cards do you have? Like what's the board presence you're going to be able to put down with it? Or is it a lot of actions and other things? In which case, then you're just setting up your other two houses. Like I have only one Genka deck and it's not very good. But it has like like crazy sanctum creatures. So I will literally, and it has like a I think two of bonds in there. So uh, it it basically gets to a point where it's got a ton of taunt and a ton of big sanctum dudes. Where I just literally set up this sanctum board and create that infrastructure where I can just call sanctum over and over again. And if you don't have a board wipe, you're probably not taking care of that board. And I can just go to town because there's so much armor, so much taunt, and you just kind of go to town, and it's really fun. Sure, totally. And that de- it seems like then the the main house in that deck would be Sanctum. It is, yeah, for sure. The other thing I really like about Mars in AOA is when I say it's, I felt like it became more of a main house. Is you got things that wanted you to call over and over again, like mm. like Glixel Proliferator, being able to archive a Mars cards from your discard, so you can replay your actions every turn. And then, not to mention, you got way more beefier things like the storm crawlers. So you're now stunning. So you're providing that disruption. Then the dominators obviously still exist. And then you have the Xanthix Harvester, where it literally wants you to be surrounded by Mars for protection. And then you're getting right. to Ember every time you reap. So you're really inclined to keep calling Mars over and over again. Yeah, I think the, a theme out of all of these that we found so far is that a main house has to have creatures on the board. It has to have something you can consistently do turn after turn. And a burst house can have things on the board or your hand, but it has to have like immediate effects or, um, well, I guess, I guess passive effects are more of a support house situation, but they can like burst houses can take advantage of passive effects. Yeah, totally. And I mean, there's, there's also like I, for some reason, I can't remember for the life of me the card. What's the one that gives armor to everything? It's the um, it's the got Mars a weird card? name. Yeah, it gives an extra like uh, ember to all of Yixlix Fix Finger. That's the one. I don't Yixlix know if I would have pulled that one out. <laughs> yeah. Um. So it's it's also giving plus one armor to each other Martian creatures. It works on your opponent's side, but I feel like Mars is 
it's not the most common house to see so you're not too you know in it but then we also got really interesting burst cards Mm -hmm. inside this like getting the mars needs ember as a little burst or even support type of thing and then like i i really like extinction because you get to choose a trait uh, choose a creature and destroy each creature that shares a trait, which as we went on in the game became so powerful with like getting rid of dinos, getting rid of, you know, demons. Like there's certain houses that have a really strong uh, synergy of creature type right. or trait. So I found that really interesting. And then, of course, uh, there's also the destroy them all, which is probably one of the best action cards in the game, I would yeah. say, to this day. I actually completely agree with that. I think yeah, that... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, it just provides that amazing support or burst even because it's going to take care of whatever you need. Yeah, speaking of support, I was I was going to say that most of the upgrades that have been in existence, either AOA or CODA, can make for an amazing support house because of all of them, only one of them actually mentions other Mars cards. So the rest yeah. of them either like giving a little bit of uh, power armor or making the opponent's keys cost more and and uh, half of them have amber pips on them when they come into play so i think that a support house for mars has to have upgrades from mars in it yeah and so that's where aoa got a boost in the support realm mm-hmm. i think the burst got neutered a little bit because there's the cards like the cards that do have it are extremely strong but you don't see them as frequently but i thought the main house aspect can be became much stronger like you could have you're having armor you're having the taunt there's big bodies like more big bodies and then there's the disruption factor with all the stun um for reaping like the repate that came in mars was quite aggressive totally i think that that stun also was something that i attributed with mars more than any other house early on and mm-hmm. it it was something that it really it felt very thematic but also was like a support house kind of um uh mechanic totally So overall, Mars went in a, from a really combo driven aspect, like I think Mars Coda is so combo and it's so interesting because it's probably one of the most interesting houses in the set for that reason, because you could, you really needed to sequence and combo, which we hadn't seen yet and is only kind of came into play in that level in the last two sets, I would say. Mm -hmm. And, and then AOA kind of leveled out a little bit to the norm almost but it still is good i I find i overlook mars looking in this exercise of doing this it's also where because they were only in well up till now coda and aoa it really felt like they weren't i mean they once the deck um power creep just kept getting better and better with each set once you were into like Worlds Collide and Mass Mutation, you 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 really were beating a lot of the decks from Call of the Archons and Age of Ascension that had Mars in it. So I, I also discounted Mars a lot for that same reason. Yeah. Now, on the contrast of how things played, especially looking at the way BDQ talked about it, we have Shadows. And I have to say, listening, like my first take, like without going into anything, I found that Coda Shadows is maybe one of the most boring houses (laughs) in the game and i say this because it just does its stuff like there's you don't really have to think that hard like your your hardest i think the most you're thinking is how to get creative with damage to steal like with a whisper uh what's it called the whisper ghost whisper is that it 
Um, I Nerve Blast. I think there that's you go. The one. one of the ones, whichever is like, if the creature is destroyed, you steal one. That one deal two damage if the creature is destroyed, steal one. I can't. I think I'm forgetting that one. But um, Relentless Whispers. That's it. Um, so yeah, it's it's good. Like you can't deny sh- Shadows in Coda is like one of the best houses in the game, but it's one of the least interesting houses in the game it just does what it does and it does it so well i will say that it gained a lot of personality as the sets progressed but all they had to talk about in their episode was coda so yeah that that you're completely right like the amber is more important than board state to this house and so Mm -hmm. it could deal with amber with its creatures if its creatures stayed on the board which with elusive they they were able to do so more than some of the other houses but whether it was a main burst or support house had much more to do with its actions than its creatures totally and the other cool thing about them is they did acknowledge the elusive fact which has Mm -hmm. been the mainstay of it and i feel like as we've gone through sets the elusive trait has made the shadows house stronger and stronger. Absolutely. And especially the point they brought across across about how like, you're not really, you shouldn't really worry about the elusive because the, the cost benefit of getting rid of one of the creatures is sometimes right. not worth it. So you should just leave it. But then as we got into mass mutations and especially dark tidings, mm-hmm. that elusive trait and the amount of creatures you would have in it could literally make it so like you don't have enough creatures to deal with this board. You have to deal with it or else they're mm-hmm. generating six ember a turn almost, maybe five. Like right. it is disgusting the board state that can be kept with such small creatures. I actually really like that some of the artifacts that they had in Coda that disappeared for AOA actually came back for mass mutation mm-hmm. and dark tidings. Like some of the yeah. ones that you like think of when you think of Coda, like Seeker Needle or Master Plan, but I special I, delivery. Yeah. I think those came back. Yeah. I, I kind of like hoped like one of the one of my favorites from Coda was Speed Sigil and and they mentioned this one and it was definitely something that made it more of a burst house but because of the the equal um, opponent versus like your opponent could use it too that whether it benefited you or them more really like it was a determination whether you had to put it on the board or not but it really was a burst house signature for me. Totally. And it's funny that I think as we got on, we got better reap effects, especially with the introduction of star lines and dinos where it made speed sigil almost unplayable. Totally. Which is really interesting because it was like, like you just had to take a quick look at the list and there's probably like a 70% chance that if your deck was composed for speed sigil, you'd be in the the driver's seat and then your opponent would just get a, a modicum of what you'd be getting. But now with these other houses and other sets, you, you really can't afford to play it and it's it's now become such a a neutered card in that regard and it's it's very interesting to see that progression happen absolutely yeah these uh these artifacts were probably the reason that a lot of my decks were shadows were the main house in my decks even though like Mm -hmm. for most people you think of burst when you think of shadows totally yeah, or even support because it just is there to to take care of the key denial aspect of the hierarchy, and you're not doing the board per se, or you're dropping down a shadow self to to set up your next turn of hunting witches and things like that. Like that's always my shadow self. I found I would rarely want to use and have both sides covered by a shadows creature. I much rather keep it 
to set up one of my other houses where there's really great abilities on those creatures. Like Sanctum Remules is the one that comes to mind. Or you then have the Hunting Witches or or um, what's the other witch? The classic Witch of the, witch of the witch Eye. Witch of the Eye? Yeah, those two, like you just wanted those protected by Shadow Self. I completely agree. Like one of my favorite first turn plays was Shadow Self so that I didn't like I just one card and then the next turn I played a different house and put the creatures I wanted next to it. I, I think that Shadow Self really was complemented by they had a lot of cards in Shadows that had low effects that had pips or they just had a lot of ping damage. So like spreading out the love amongst all the creatures. That was a really good support control that shadows mm-hmm. could do. Yeah, the the main house shadows thing is such an the way they talked about it is, it's so interesting because they obviously acknowledge that it does exist, but it doesn't feel as good as other mm-hmm. houses being a main. Like it just the way it wants to operate, like everything about like you don't want shadows early in a game for the most part in Coda. And and yeah, it's just it's just really interesting. It, it is the quintessential burst house. That's that's just the truth of the matter. And I don't think that's changed over the course of all of the sets. I think that in general, I mean, because oh really? I think in Dark Tidings it did. Ooh. I think it became a main house in Dark Tidings. I love Shadows Dark Tidings. It's one of my favorite houses in the game, just because the the pirate theme is a big part. But I also find that they all have really good abilities, and they create threats that need to be addressed, like Hobnobber. They know if they go into six, they're kind of screwed. Like they need to go to to eight just to stay in check, and you're still stealing two. And then you have like Hard Simpson with the elusive and the way that can be used both with, for, or against you. And then all the other creatures you see a lot that actually have really good abilities, and they're all elusive. Like I find I can set up a, such an aggressive board that it just makes my opponent like have to deal with it and also have trouble dealing with it. So hot take here. I think one of the reasons that what you're saying makes a lot of sense that they move from a burst house more to a main house. I think that's probably because they actually neutered the house a little bit because what used to be instant effects yeah. or upon play or um, things that you could you could call upon immediately then became things you had to have a creature on the board to be able to do, or you had to have yeah. a setup of some kind to pull off. So they they may have become a great main house because that that's by necessity. Yes. And I mean, mass mutation, like we're kind of going backwards here in the progression, which I'm okay <laughs> with. Uh, we'll switch it up. The I found that the worst iteration of Shadows was in mass mutation. Ooh, you okay. do still have, I think, some really good cards, but it was the fact that they had so many damage pip giving cards that were just vanilla afterwards and you saw mm. them frequently shout out to mutant cut purse yeah i was i was actually surprised that like one of the more common um enhancements that shadows provided in mass mutation was damage because yeah. i know that like Amber is is really like an untamed kind of thing, but but just in general you think of shadows when you think of amber. You don't think of damage when you think of shadows. No, that's the thing. And then the weirdest part when I think about like the best cards from the Shadows Mass Mutation were actually like the Lycos, you know, the the different mm. thieves that came because of the extra effects they had, which are available in every house. But those were the best effects that existed, I found. Like there was obviously some really cool cards that existed, but I feel like the identity of Shadows there it's like you're praying for an auto encoder. Like I love auto encoder and shadows. Like that is the best because it's really easy to just 
call that to cycle your hand and just set up really big turds. Like there's no need to put those cards on the board. Sure, totally. So yeah, so mass mutation, I feel like the identities, even going like burst, shadow, like support, it's almost irrelevant because whatever you have, like, I mean, you can have a main house with it, but I don't really want to call shadows because aside from reaping, I'm getting very other like benefits from them. There's exactly. So many vanilla cards. And depending on the support houses that come with shadows, whether the shadows is the main or the burst, you sh- you shouldn't hopefully be as like dependent on getting specific shadows cards because like if you have it's from Coda like too much to protect sitting in your deck and you need it at a specific point, you really need your um, support house to help you get to the cards that you you need when you need them. Totally. And then if we're going back into Worlds Collide, I mean, Worlds Collide is, it's not bad, nor is it good. Shadows, like, <laughs> it was it was like a steady progression of trying to fix the the strength that Shadows brought in Coda. And, and, I, and as strong as Shadows is in Coda, there was also the fact that it had the strongest key denial. And as a result, people just played it because you had that aspect of the game covered. Right. So I wonder if people didn't play as much shadows, it wasn't showing up so aggressively in tournaments, if they would have like, you know, neutered it the way they did. I think actually one of the really cool aspects of shadows in Worlds Collide were the plants. And yes. that really did kind of like weasel its way into helping it become a main house because these yes. things being on the board really allowed you, I guess, technically, these could also be considered a support house because yeah. they specifically let you like gave you a power or an aspect totally. of another house, but they, yeah, they needed you the, to be it gave sticky. You the, um, it gave you Ember just for calling the house. So that's inclined to not call shadows and call that other house. Right. So yeah, yeah. They, they needed to be sticky on the board. And so if they got protection, then the other houses would be much better. Yeah, I think you're right. Worlds Collide Shadows was very much a support house. Like it was aggressively a support house. Cause then you have things like Breaker Hell came where it's neighbors got the ability to steal suddenly. Like that mm. was huge. Like that was such a great little thing. Cause you're just like, Oh, I'll plop this down leave a space open and it's perfect. And I can just set it up. Like it, it worked really well in, in that regard. And it had a lot um, of control so that you could like do what you wanted mm, to do mm-hmm. with the other houses. So like um, Inky Gloom where your opponent couldn't reap or Chimor Eclipse where you're yep. shuffling flank creatures in. Like the control that it had really did help the other houses shine. Yes, totally. And then AOA. So AOA Shadows is arguably one of the best houses in the set. It, it was worse than Coda, but it but it really took on the mantle that AOA like provided and obviously brought us Brend and Ronnie, which are just amazing cards. Like those two, like I love Brend. I don't know about you. Oh yeah. I was going to say some of, some of my favorite shadows are in AOA, like swindle, just simply just one of my favorite swing cards. It six ember swing. Yeah. One turn, one card, six ember swing. It's it's really good. And it's obviously the most impactful when you take your opponent off a check and put yourself into check. That's just right. like such a great swing. And then you got Ronnie and Brend, which is really they still exist like to this day, except for Ronnie. Ronnie did not make it to Dark Tidings, but Brend stuck <laughs> around. Brend has been in, I think, every set, or was it not was he not in Mass Mutation? Um, I don't know that off the top of my head. Let's see. Let's go to Archon Arcana real quick. I when in doubt, go to Archon Arcana. So I'm actually on Dex of Keyforge, and it what Brend, 
Bren wasn't in mass mutation. <laughs> yeah. Bren was not in mass mutation. Uh, but yeah, there was... Bren's just such a great card. Like, I, I will forever like it because it provides amazing combo opportunity with your other houses. And again, it provides that kind of support aspect. Like, the burst support thing that, that came, that started to come, I think it started in AOA and it just kind of continued in, until we got into Dark Tidings where, like, as you said, it was the necessity that yeah. lent for that to happen. Little Niff was also a pretty, like, highlight that as a support card because after a neighbor of Little Niff fights, steal one, and it had Deploy. And so I think... You could set it up. Uh, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I think Deploy was introduced in AOA. And so, was, like, yeah. yeah, it was one of the, like, coolest cards, coolest first cards to have Deploy before, totally. you know, Star Alliance came out. Yeah, I agree, totally. So, with all that said, I think... Um, Shadows is interesting. It's I, I really like Dark Tiding Shadows. It's one of my favorites. And based on how Mars was so intricate in the way it was described and being used compared to Shadows in Coda just being so straightforward for the most part, mm-hmm. it was really interesting hearing these go together for our own listening enjoyment. And I hope you all listen to these episodes to kind of get what we're talking about and you're following along in this way. But I feel that... I'm very excited to see where Mars goes next because we have the least information yes, on Mars. Absolutely. I think that, to be fair, they have a personality and I hope they stay totally. within it. I hope they stay combo-y. But now that we've had so many mechanics introduced since they were last out, I really think that like there's just so many options for them. And not to mention they're coming back with the token thing. Remember? Oh yeah, that that's was right. revealed that Mars has this token thing, which is cool if you're amassing sort of like this this Martian army, which could be really interesting. Totally, which ca- and which kind of leads you to think maybe main house aspect is coming a little bit more because you're gonna have Ooh. more things on the board. So that's gonna do it for this episode, and of course we cannot end an episode without the titular segment. We call this one "Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self," Sydney. What help from future self do you have for our listeners this week? So I think I'm going to do a a callback to all of the times that I've mentioned how important the community is and that it really is not a bad time to reach out to your Keyforge buddies. So whether mm. you're currently playing with them or you've previously played with them, um, I'm I'm still trying to get our, our local game store to bring back uh, in-person Keyforge. And it's been a rough road, but in general, I've I've recently reached out to a Keyforge buddy that I played in person with, and we caught up. And he he's currently playing Flesh and Blood, and I told him that the second that our game store gets Keyforge back, I'm I'm making him show up. And and I think that keeping in contact and keeping the connections fresh, and even enjoying the company of the people that you played Keyforge with before everything changed, is something that will keep this game running. And I'm I'm really excited for the support that it's it's garnered so far for me totally i completely agree with you i'm lucky enough in the help from future self discord literally has a vancouver locals channel which has been very active we actually got I'm like so I think, jealous <laughs> it's pretty cool we we got like four new players joined from uh one of our our locals josh he he at his university created like a keyforge night for students and people came and he got people into the game which like kudos to you josh appreciate you for that man oh my god amazing yeah it was really good so um, that's going to do it for this week's episode. You can catch us next week with some more BDQ throwback house rolls. And uh, we're getting near the end. And then we're going to talk about 
our own takes in BDQ style for the houses that they did not cover. So be sure to keep tuning in to those. But as always, folks, oh, well, you know where to find us. Just hit us up on the Discord at this point. We don't need to. <laughs> right, Sydney? Just hit up, up on, on oh, Discord. Yeah. yeah, totally. What's yours? SC Steel? Yep. Yep. Boulevard Blake, number sign 3840. Find us there. Join our Discord. Link in <laughs> the show notes. And we'll get at you next week. And until then, folks, stay fortunate.